Wow. <laughs> Guys, it's an honor to be here, to be here, part of the family. Um, I have stopped by before, but yeah, it's been a busy year. I've been over in Europe around seven times, which is kind of a personal record for me this year. Um, but it's an honor to be here. I want to say a big thank you to Pastor Evangelist, General of the Faith, Daniel Kalinda, and, uh, and really the whole family. Also would like to recognize uh, my beautiful wife, Maisie. Maisie, stand up really quick. Stand up. The wonderful, amazing Maisie. We, <clears throat> we live in Jacksonville. We have five kids and one on the way. So that's another reason why we're not here as often as we would want to be. Uh, but it's a deep, deep honor to be here. Uh, with a lot of friends and family. Um, there's also people in the room that I've, I've fought in battles with in Europe in, in the most positive uh, way possible. I believe I was here a few months ago. We showed a video of what God did on the border of Ukraine. For around 10 weeks, there were lines and lines of, you imagine, obviously this, this is when the war began, lines and lines of 10, 000, tens of thousands of Ukrainians, I mean literally like a mile long on the sidewalk, waiting to check out of Ukraine to come into Poland. And we had a team of people from the CFAN family, from the Nation Church family there. And for, for 10 weeks, we saw a mighty revival, over 19,000 decisions for Christ. And yeah, come on, come on. <clears throat> and, and there are heroes in this room who, in that time, they would, they would be, they would be wa walking up and down the sidewalks continually for 14 hours a day preaching the gospel. So I don't know if you've done anything for 14 hours a day, but whatever it is, it often is exhausting <laughs> by the 14th hour. And we had times where we'd have buses pull up of, of, of hundreds of, of people around 11 o'clock at night, these people escaping war. And a lot of our guys, there, you know how the enemy is, he sent a season of, of, of kind of illness and fever to our team there at the hotel. You know, we had around 20 people, I think like 18 of them had fevers. And I remember one night that uh, around... A around 20 buses pulled up. There's around 50 people in each bus. And what we would do is we'd go on the buses and we'd preach the gospel. And I remember uh, the story of one of these guys. There was just two of them on the streets that were, not, that were not having fever. And they ran back into the rooms. They were knocking on the doors. Guys, there's, there's 20 more buses that are here. Would any of you come? And you had people pulling themselves out of bed with like 104 degree fever saying, let's go. And so again, uh, there, there's an heroic element to what Nations Church hosts. It's in you. These are, these, are, these, are, these are daughters and sons of this house, of this family. And I want to just, just, yeah, just, I even want to applaud you guys because, again, they're, they're, they're an outgrowth of what you're hosting here. And it's just the beginning. So these are heroes. So I want to talk this morning very quickly about this idea of sonship. Again, it's, it's something that a lot of times in the body of Christ we throw around this word, I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God, and I wanted to just very quickly look a little bit deeper at when we say this, when we say we're a son or a daughter, what are we really saying? What are we singing about? And my heart is, I know people in this room, I know people here that could even preach on this, <laughs> um, but my heart is that what, what, whatever said today, that the Holy Spirit would make it alive to you in an individual way. So again, I would say this, when we talk about the word sonship, one of the main questions that we're talking about is, whereas we as a man or a woman where are we getting our sense of value from? Where are we getting this from as a man or a woman? Okay, Each one of us is born with the need to feel affirmed, to feel valued. Every single one in this room. 
And I would say this, it's, it's this desire that's placed inside of us, that God placed inside of you as a man, you as a woman, that has drawn probably almost all of you in this room, and if not, hopefully very soon, into the arms of the Father, into the arms of Jesus. Okay, but I would say this, that whatever value we cannot receive from God in moments in time, real moments in time, where we feel affirmed, not just up here with our heads, but actually at the heart level, whatever we cannot receive from God directly as a Father, we have to come into moments in time and we have to receive it from people in the room, okay? And I would say this, um, society, American society, does a great job of trying to train us up to receive our value in a specific subset of ways, okay? For women, again, they, it's, hit, we're, it's around the same how society is trying to make us get our sense of value. For women, you just go, to the, go look at the women's magazines in the stores, right? It's your looks, right? It's, it's how intelligent you are. Um, do you have a job or do you have a profession? How many kids do you have? Maybe if you're really motherly from a really motherly community. Okay, so, and again, for men, it's the same thing. It's, you know, our job, how much money we're making, what car we drive. Um, do we have a wife? Do we, do we have it together? Are we strong? You know, it's these, these, these obviously superficial things. And I would say this, that, again, what happens is, is that our hearts end up becoming tethered to these things over time. We grow up in a community, and often that's what happens in our society. Sometimes, too, if you grow up in church, our hearts begin to be connected to how big is your ministry? When you lay hands on people, do they fall out in the spirit? <laughs> you know, when you, when you pray for people, are they healed? Again, our hearts, even in the Christian world, sometimes we, we're, in, we're out of Christ, we come into Christ, and now there's a new subset of things, okay? Whenever those things are appealed to, we feel really good. Whenever we're young, we're, we're beautiful, we're the most beautiful person in the room, we finally got that Audi 2021, you know, whatever it looks like, we laid, we laid hands on someone, they fell out in the spirit, people are coming up afterwards, brother, what did you do? I don't know, I just prayed for him, okay? Wh whatever it is, we feel really good, okay? But whenever that's not appealed to, we go through a fall, okay? And in some ways, again, in society, we become a slave to those things, okay? So, and this is, this is really what begins to happen. We grow up and our hearts begin to be tethered to these other places of value. We need the affirmation of people in the room. And I would say this, that it's, it's unbecoming of a daughter or son of God to, be, to, be to, to get their value out of anything that's not him, okay? And so what happens is when we come into Christ, the Lord begins a journey in our hearts of taking us out, where, taking us to a place where, where only what he says to us matters, okay? So what only what he says to us through the word or in times of encounter with him, we come to a place where all the other voices, all the other places of value we, we walk free of it. And in that place, we actually become the men and women that we were called to be, right? Children that are responsive to his voice. So I want to talk about this really quickly. And this is what we're going to talk about is, is this, this journey today of wherever we are coming into a deeper place of receiving value from him directly. I would say this, um, how many of you guys, you create things? You create wood things or you build things with your hands, okay? Who here, who here is a carpenter? You, you, you build things, okay. So we can imagine this, the carpenters in this room. If you were going to build a rocking chair that you were going to mass produce a billion times, you would, you would take a lot of time on that first rocking chair. If you're going to mass produce it a billion times, you would take a lot of time on that rocking chair and you would make sure that that rocking chair was the full expression of your heart. Okay, because again, you were going to mass produce this a billion times. So what I'm saying is when we look at the Garden of Eden, 
and the relationship that God the Father had with Adam and Eve, what we see is we see an expression of his heart, the kind of friendship that he wanted to have with us as men and as women. And what we see there is that Adam had total communion and friendship with God. They had total friendship. Adam, he wasn't just the Lord's ministry slave. He wasn't just coming to the Father saying, hey, okay, what's my next assignment? What's my next assignment? Sometimes when, when we come into the body of Christ, we can be really good. What's my next assignment, God? What's my next assignment? Okay, he, but they actually had real friendship. They had real friendship. How many of you guys, it would be very strange if you had, a, how many of you guys have a best friend that they're always coming to you and they only want to get their assignment, their next assignment of how to be their friend? Right, it's probably, it's actually an interesting, probably good friend, but it's a very wounded friend, right? You'd say like, no, like, listen, brother, just sit with me. Like, or listen, sister, like, you don't have to do anything for me. We're friends, right? And so again, this is the, this is the relationship that God had with Adam and Eve in the garden. They sat together. They made jokes together, okay? And I don't mean to say that God's a jokester, but how many of you guys have a friend that you never joke around with? Not once, or they never joke around with you, okay? Oh, brothers, yeah, I bet that's a joke right now, okay. I bet, I bet you're like, I'm going to raise my hand, brother. Yeah, me too, me too, okay. Okay, but most of us, we have friends, and if God's ever corrected you in your thought life once, he'll often use humor, right? And he'll say, oh my gosh, yes, Lord, yes, I'm being so stupid. Thank you. Thank you for showing me that. He causes you to laugh, so he uses humor to teach us often. But they had real relationship. God was not afraid. Adam was not afraid or intimidated by God. When Adam had a question for God, he would go to him in the garden and he would just ask him the question. And he would wait while his father answered him, right? I don't know, I think there's many of us, we have people probably in this house or in your communities where when you look in their eyes, they, they, there's such love of value. Like someone in your community, when you look in their eyes, there's such love radiating out of, radiating out of their eyes. Many of you guys, you have people like that. You're like, Grandmother, just keep looking at me, please, okay? Uh, if not, you need to meet Michael Job, okay? But he's a great brother in this house. But, but people like that, and you think about this, Adam, his entire sense of worth was based on how his father saw him, right? And you, you imagine the eyes of God the Father looking at him with love. And this is what, this is what Adam had in, in the garden. His entire sense of value was based on how God saw him and not on others, Probably a lot of us have friends that are so broken inside. And you think, and I don't know if you guys ever, ever caught yourself saying this. I used to say this sometime as like a 20-year-old. Like, dude, if you could just see yourself through my eyes, like you would be entirely restored. Right? And again, the eyes of a good father staring at his son, loving him. And this is what Adam knew. This was his inheritance. God was and is a good father. There's over 300 different names for God in the Old Testament. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha. So many, the Prince of Peace, the Great Eternal Wonder, the, the Counselor, right? But Jesus was here for three years of ministry, open ministry, and he kept coming back to one word. He kept coming back and he said, listen, I've come to reveal the Father. And you think, why is that? Why did he keep saying this over and over again? And it's because of this. The Israelites, they knew God as an all-knowing, transcendent judge, Okay, that's, what, that's how they saw him. They so standard in the law that they thought underneath the law there must be a God who's simply a judge. You know, so we have five kids and sometimes there's a need for discipline with my kids. Okay, and I say, listen, if you choose option A, this is what's going to happen. If you choose option B, this is what's going to happen. There's discipline. Okay, and so sometimes I have to put on the judge hat as a father, right? But it would break my heart 
if my kids only saw me as a judge and I would do whatever it took and I would say, no, 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 I'm actually a good father. And this is what, this is what Jesus did for three years of ministry. I find too that sometimes we grow up in the body of Christ or we come into the body of Christ and we, and we, we continually see him just how the Israelites did as the all-knowing, transcendent judge, right? So that was God's original design to have a relationship with his children in the garden. How many of you guys, when you were younger, your father or mother sat you down and said, listen, when you get angry, I want you to get angry like this. <laughs> how many of you guys, like your parents actually tactically sat you down and taught you how to get angry? Probably not many people, maybe a few, praise God. Let's talk later. Okay, but, but here's the thing. But yet a lot of us are self-aware enough to realize, hey, before God healed me, I actually got mad a lot like my parents. I would get angry in some ways. If they, if they avoided conflict, I learned to avoid conflict, right? So what we're saying is that your parents didn't actually teach you this. You grew up in their presence for 18 years or however long it was, and the foundations of their heart became the foundations of your heart, right? And you were discipled into something through presence, and so this was God's original design, to have a family of children that would grow up in his presence and that slowly they would take on his heart and in that they would bring his heart to the world, to different communities. So his, 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 his original vision was to have a family of friends that would, that would, that would take on his heart, that would, that would conquer the world. So obviously we know what happened. Sin entered the world. And so what happened was this. Jesus sent, God sent Jesus to the world, not just, not just so we could get a stamp on our spiritual passport that we get to go to heaven one day, although I could dance and, 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 and for the rest of my life thinking of that, that he paid for that. But he actually died to reconcile us back into relationship with the Father, right? So like Adam, with the eyes of our heart, we can, we can see his eyes like showing us love, restoring our heart. So like Adam, when we have a question, we can come with childlike faith and say, Jesus, how... Or, Father, how do you want me to see this? And just as Adam received real wisdom, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives it liberally, James 1, 4, that we could come to him with childlike faith and expect him to answer us. So this is what he died for, real relationship, real friendship. It was one of Jesus' last prayers, John 15, 15, 16, and 17, chapters 15, 16, and 17 in the book of John, where we see that Jesus, Jesus prays this, John 16, 7, he says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if, you, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. How many of you guys have ever gone evangelizing with Scott McNamara? Come on, brothers, sisters. <laughs> it's a fun time. Okay? Imagine this, doing ministry with Scott McNamara for three years. Three years every day. And he comes to you and he says, listen, I'm leaving you. Tomorrow I'm leaving you. But in 50 days... I'm going to send somebody to you, and he's going to be better than me. You're like, what's, is Daniel Kalinda's free it up, or what? No, you say, uh, it's a joke, Scott. Okay, so, but no, but, but you would say like, who is this person? Who is this person, Scott? And you would, you would wait, and the Holy Spirit obviously came, right? And so again, Jesus is giving glory to the Holy Spirit, right, in this moment, but pointing out the power of what is going to rest on humanity on the 50th day, on the day of Pentecost. Paul goes on to build out another appellation for this spirit. He calls it the spirit of adoption. In Romans 8, 14 through 16, 
For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption into sonship and that you would be brought to a place of crying out, Father. Okay, so listen. There's many different ways you can describe spirits. What is a spirit of adoption? Okay, many ways to describe spirit. But one thing about a spirit is when it rests in your mind, okay, it's almost like a 3D box that coats every thought you have. Okay, so let me describe natural human fear as you're standing on the edge of the Cran Canyon, okay, and you, and, you, and you look and you're like, okay, let me take a step back, okay. A spirit of fear is there's no external cause. You're just gripped by fear. No external cause, okay. Natural human anger, this doesn't mean it's, it's right, but it's, it's, it's natural in its origin. You're walking along, you don't have shoes on, and you stub your toe, Ah, you know, natural, it's natural anger, okay? A spirit of anger is there's no external cause, you're just angry, okay? How many of you guys, you've ever been in someone's presence or maybe you work for somebody who had a spirit of anger, okay? Like, you never feel safe in their presence. You really never feel safe, okay? A spirit of adoption is there's no external cause, I just know that I'm adopted by a good father, so I, so I don't have regret, I don't have fear of the future, that I truly believe, like, like a, there's a 3D box in my mind that, that I have a good father. Okay, so this is one of the things that is rest inside the Holy Spirit. And he was, he was, he was birthed into all of us, okay? Some of us understand he's a spirit of power, okay? But we also need to understand he's a spirit of adoption. And he, he longs to bring out the thought patterns that you're special. Not because of what family you're in. Not because of what church you're part of. But you are unique to him. Okay. So I want to describe this. There's two different types of children in God's kingdom. Okay. There are sons and daughters. And there are orphans. Okay. Both of these children... They're going to heaven one day. Both have stamps on their spiritual passport. Both can move in powerful signs and wonders, okay? On the exterior, you can't really tell sometimes. Are they a son or are they more of an orphan? Again, they're both saved. Their names are written in the Book of Life, but their inner worlds are entirely different. Okay, I'm going to describe really quickly what is a son or daughter? What is their inner world like? I would say the sons and daughters, they've allowed the Holy Spirit's voice and thought patterns to convince them thoroughly at every level that as the Father loves Jesus, so he loves them. And they truly believe that everything that Jesus died for is their inheritance, okay? Above how good they've been, above their perfect behavior, above, above these things. God in his infinite wisdom, he knows the difference between open rebellion and simply imperfect follow-through, okay? Or, or child, ch children growing up into maturity, okay? So again, they understand this. And because of that, they live free from regrets of the past and they live free from fear of the future, Okay? Fear, we should come to a place in our maturity as men and women where fear becomes foreign to us, okay? Where it just becomes, what is that? Oh my gosh, that's fear. It, it, like, and this is not just possible when we're a grandmother one day. A lot of us have faith, finally, when I'm an 80-year-old grandfather, I'm gonna be there. No, listen, it's fully possible now to live in this as we access it through revelation and encounter. Okay, but sons and daughters, that's them. The underlying, th the underlying theme of their thought life is, again, as the Father loves Jesus, so he loves me. Okay, orphans. Let me describe them very quickly. Instead of feeling like we be belong in God's family, so many of us are convinced that we do not, okay? We regularly experience fears and insecurities, and in many ways, these fears or insecurities, they kind of rule your lives. Like if we could project your thought life on the board, 
there'd be a lot of fear, a lot of insecurity there, okay? I did not create the term orphan. Jesus did. He said, I will not leave you as you sit there an orphan. I will come to you, okay? I will send the Holy Spirit to fully adopt you. So again, two different types of children in God's kingdom, the sons and daughters and the orphans. I would say this, the question then arises, okay, how do we become an orphan, okay? I would say this, without a representation of the heavenly father, most of us, when we're birthed into the body of Christ, will be birthed as an orphan into the body of Christ, okay? Many of us, most of us. Um, And again, yeah, so I would say this, from zero to 19, each of us have had real encounters with real people, zero to 20 years old, you know, again, you think kids, being a kid, being a teenager, all of us have had real encounters with real people, family members, friends, siblings, aunts, uncles, uh, pastors sometimes, leaders, uh, teachers. All of us have had real encounters that have shaped our individual sense of value, okay? You imagine between the ages of zero and 20, you can think of it like this. If you have this clay heart, okay, that, and all of a sudden, a strange encounter happens, and it's almost like someone punches that heart. You know, you, your, father, he, your father dies, your father leaves you, your mother leaves you, your the different things. And, and um, you know, again, one of your siblings dies tragically. Uh, your dad, he's a good man, but he, he travels all the time. Your, your, your mom's a, great, a great, uh, great lady, but she's a nurse and she's gone. Okay, and, and the, the, these things, they, they, they kind of shape how you interpret the world. It's almost like a, like a, like a, a windshield in a way. And you imagine it's a, a clear windshield, but then you imagine one that, where a lot of rocks have hit that. And it's almost like you can't, you, you, you come to a place where you can't even see reality anymore. Because your heart is so, is so different in a way. A lot of times you become self-aware of this in your late teenage years, early 20s, sometimes uh, for the rest of your life. And you find yourself saying like, again, if someone throws a five, five pound weight at you, you feel like 50 pounds kind of coming out of your heart. 50 pounds of fear. 50 pounds of insecurity. And there's, a, there's an imbalance there. And you, you kind of realize it. And you think, well, man, I want my heart to react differently. And again, the great thing about Jesus is he didn't just die to, to come to a place where, he, where we force ourselves to have good Christian behavior in front of other people. He died to actually restore our hearts, to actually take that heart and begin to massage it and transform it back into the supple, the supple uh, piece of clay that it once was. Okay, so I'm going to do this really quickly. I'm just going to describe, again, different ways that the heart of an orphan reacts in moments in time and the heart of a son. Okay, and I want you guys to just kind of uh, just kind of be self-aware, okay? Um, I'm not going to ask you to raise hands or anything, but just kind of be self-aware. Um, let me t- so the heart of an orphan, I'm just going to talk about four traits very quickly. The heart of an orphan strives for the praise, the approval, and the acceptance of man, okay? So you know you're an orphan when you're doing a task. Do you really need at the end of it for the person in authority or someone to come up to you and say, hey, you did, you did a great job. Like, is your heart waiting afterwards? I need it, I need it, I need it. Okay, only you know, only you know. Okay, but being self-aware, do you need that? The heart of a son, um, it feels totally accepted in God's love. Like, you don't really need it. And in fact, what, what often sons do is, it's great if they get approval from people. It's great if they get criticism from people. But what, what matters the most is they come to the Lord, they say, Lord, how did I do today? Like, Lord, what do you think about it? Okay, and they're able in real moments in time to hear the Lord saying, you did a great job. He, he often, he'll often tell you you did a great job and he'll often tell you something that you could do better, just like a good father would, okay, but in love. Okay, so this is the heart of an orphan, strives for the praise, the approval, the acceptance of, of other people. Okay, uh, 
the heart of an orphan, their motive for service is, is a need for personal achievement. You know you're an orphan when you think, like, I need to achieve something big in life. Or you're looking to achieve some act that actually affirms who you are as a person. Now, it's a noble thing. Every father wants his son or daughter to take the territory that, to which they were assigned. There's a good striving to build the kingdom. There's a good contending to build whatever he's given you. Okay, but this is actually an unhealthy thing. You, you, you're, you're constantly striving. You're actually motivated by this idea, I lack something. I need to accomplish something, okay? The heart of a son, is that their heart is, is that they, they want to serve the family of God. They want to serve, but it's motivated by a, a deep love for people, a deep love for the family. The joy alone is that, is that others receive joy, others receive breakthrough. And it, whether, whether it's noted in the halls of mankind or not, it doesn't matter. Whether they have a Wikipedia article afterwards or not, it doesn't matter. The heart of an orphan, uh, they see correction like this. The heart of an orphan, they see uh, correction actually as a place of pain. They try to avoid correction. You know you're an orphan when some, where you try to push off you know, the, the reviews at work, right? You know you're an orphan where someone is correcting you. And you can't wait for them to take a breath. So you can say, listen, brother, but let me explain how it really was. You know, you, you can't wait to kind of defend yourself, okay? The heart of a son with correction, you actually willfully hear out things, okay? Microsoft, these companies, they pay billions of dollars to have people come in for a year to critique them. At the end, they hand them all the critiquing, okay? And what they're saying is this, it's worth it to us that if we can find three things now, it'll give forth the 50 years of fruitfulness, Okay? Most of us receive our correction for free, okay? I don't know about you, but I, you know, I have in the past, okay? And it's really important when someone's correcting you to, to just say, say there and he, to hear them out. Sometimes ten, only 10% of it is true, perhaps, but, but it's, it's deep truth, okay? Uh, the view of authority. Orphans, they see authority as a source of pain. You know this is you uh, because, again, you, you, know, you, you think leadership is always hypocritical, um, you're always kind of railing against the man. You're always doing, doing things like that. Okay, the, the heart of a son is actually honoring towards authority. Okay, David had authority that was trying to kill him, Saul, right? Throwing spears at him, okay? And I would say this, unless you're under authority that's trying to kill you, the goal is, is in that moment to really understand what, what God's trying to do, what he's trying to do in your heart. I've learned more from bad leaders even than good leaders, if I was trying to raise up someone for authority in, in a kingdom, I would want that son or daughter to, to serve under bad authority and good authority so that they could learn what, what, what both looks like. Okay, I'm going to share the last thing right now, the last orphan trait. Um, the heart of an orphan has a poverty mindset, okay? You know this is you um, because you go out, you know, you go, you go out to Burger King after this and one of your friends sees you there. It's like, oh, thank you. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. Listen, can you order a, a, a double, you know, like a double XXL for me? Can you order that? You know, the whole meal setting. I, I forgot my wallet. And he's like, but I'll pay you back. But he's the kind of friend where you know he's not paying you back. Okay, he's really not. Let's be honest. Okay. And you know you're an orphan. If there's kind of rage inside of you, like that's $9. You could have just ordered the, the, the double cheeseburger. It costs two eighty nine. You know, like, you know, but there's kind of rage in you when someone makes a financial demand upon you. Okay. So again, we're, you know you're an orphan with a poverty mentality when your definition of like well-being is tied to how much money you have in the bank account, where there's a real heart-level connection to this, okay? The heart of a son is generous, okay? He, he really understands that, every, that my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills, 
and everything that he has is mine when I need it in the right season. I'll never be begging for bread. I never will be. My kids will never be begging for bread. Okay, and so, so yes, I've got the 789 for you. Yeah, brother, come on, okay? The Lord, I had a poverty mentality until I was around 24 years old. The Lord broke it off in a radical season. Um, I, I hung out with a guy who was around 10 years older than me. I was a missionary in Kazakhstan. It's a long story. But every, every month I'd go out to eat with this guy, Steve, Steve Fast. And every, every time he'd say, Matt, you order whatever you want on the menu. And I was like, you know, the first time any, anybody ever, people, people ask you that. First time that he asked me, I'm like, I'm going to order the smallest thing on the menu. So I ordered that thing. But he noticed it. The second time, he's like, Matt, order, the, order whatever you want on the menu. And he noticed I ordered the, the smallest thing. And he said, no, 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 no. Bring this man a steak right now. Bring him this one. I, the same thing I'm getting. I want him for him. So month after month, this radical generosity like washing over my heart. And I came to the place of feeling so loved that I longed to be this for others. Okay, and this is, and so he also, also too, God led me in, in a season of time, I think it was 40% of my income. He said, give it away, give it away. This is when, you know, I'm earning like $2,000 a month and like, you know, that's $800 is a lot of money when you only got 2,000 coming in. But he said, do it. And I learned I could live without that money, right? I learned, I learned that, I, and I learned to see his provision, Okay, and so the best thing that a father could do is to break the hold of money over our lives that stops us from dreaming, that stops us from living. Okay, so I want us to do this, okay? So I've talked a little bit about this, this or, the, the orphan traits, the son traits, and let's just close our eyes really quickly. Okay, so I want you just to think about if there was any orphan trait that I mentioned where you're like, hey, there's a, there's a little bit of truth to how my heart reacts in that way. I, I do see the striving. I do see there's comparison sometimes. I do see that finances, that it's, there, there's weight in my heart. There's, there's fear in my heart. Again, I'm not living with a deeper understanding of this, but I want to. Then I want you to just keep your eyes closed. Just, just raise your hand. You're not going to be the only one. Trust me. Okay. Okay, there's many of you. Okay. So I want you to stay where you are. And I'm going to ask you to just ask the Lord this one question. And he's going to speak with you. So Lord, I thank you that you're here. I thank you that you said in Hebrews, I would never leave you and I will never forsake you. And so we activate that reality now. And Lord, I thank you that where you are, your voice is. You don't know how to come in halves. You don't know how to come as the healer and not come as the one who wants to speak with his children. So Lord, I thank you that you're here. So again, I want you to ask the Lord this question. You're just gonna ask him and rest and see what he says to you. See what he brings to your remembrance. But the question is this. Father, what lie am I believing about your goodness that my heart reacts like an orphan in this way? So again, I'll repeat it. We're just gonna rest here for a minute. Father, what lie am I believing about your goodness? That I struggle with competition, that I struggle 
with this? What am I not understanding about you, God? So just ask him and rest. He may say, you're believing the lie that I am And if he, if he does say something to you, then I want you to say, Lord, if that's the lie, then what's the truth? Who are you really? Who are you really? Just say, Lord, I ask, I want a deeper revelation of that. I receive that truth. This is who you are. Heart of Matthew, you will, you will believe this truth. This is who the Father is. We're going to ask him one more question. And it's simply, the first one was about the lie that you're believing about him. The second question is, Father, what lie am I believing about myself that my heart reacts like an orphan in this way? What am I believing about myself that's not true? And just ask him and rest. You may say, you're believing the lie that you are Lord, then who am I really? He's an individual God who speaks with us individually. Who am I to you? So Lord, I ask... Lord, I ask for you to take my brothers and sisters by the hand. Father, that you would father them. That you would father them in new ways, Lord. God, I thank you for breaking off fear of the future, regret of the past. That you would break off the lies that they've learned in their childhood about you, about themselves. And you would begin to rewrite their hearts. Holy Spirit, we look to you with childlike faith. God, as you fathered me, father them. Lord, I ask for encounters in the secret place where they're moved to tears by the goodness of the Lord, where they can't start their car because they feel your love in the car with them. Lord, I ask that, you, that they would begin to, as they give them a hunger for the word again, Lord, and as they read scripture, that they would see the love notes that you've written them with childlike faith, meals every day that reshape their hearts. Lord, I thank you that you lead them to the place where fear is foreign, where no other voice, where applause from, the, from anyone 
doesn't mean as much as applause from you. They're not satisfied with the applause of man and they don't let the criticism of man define them. So Lord, we, we look to you. Amen. I want to just close with this, guys. You can walk on the, obviously on the beaches of, of, of Florida all around and sometimes you can be walking and you can see like little pebbles on the, on, on little pebbles and obviously we all know there's not pebbles in the ocean. But what these are, a lot of us know, they're, they're pieces of glass that were thrown in the ocean. You know, many years ago, sometimes two years ago, sometimes 20 years ago. And the, the glass didn't do anything. The jagged piece of glass, the shard, didn't do anything except sit in the water. And the washing of the water washed that jagged piece of glass down into a smooth pebble. And I find that if we simply become people of his presence, that the washing of his presence, his whispers over us as men, as women, they, they begin to wash down every, every place of unforgiveness. They address every lie we're believing about him or about ourselves. And we come to the place where simply his daughter, his son, running in the fields with him. Okay? And that's what I blessed you with. Um, yes. So uh, we, I, let's, let's do this really quickly. Um, boot camper, stand up one more time, if you can. I just, I, I had a picture of this in worship where... Um, Basically, guys, you imagine, I don't know if any of you guys have military people in your family, sons or daughters, maybe in the past, fathers. There comes that time when these guys are going off to war and the family, you gather around and you look in their eyes and you say, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of what you become. And then on the other side, where the son or daughter that's going off to war says, Thank you for everything you've provided for me. Again, almost like a final goodbye because you never know. Okay, and so, yeah, I want to encourage you guys. Again, you see these guys as, as, we, as we kind of conclude here. To find them one more time, we, we, did, we did the prayer, but sincere moments where you look in their eyes with eyes of love. Again, the boot campers know it's only because of your yes in a prior season that they could come in and receive the, the culture that you guys host collectively. Okay, and then we as brothers and sisters, we look in their eyes and we say, David, Leanna, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. So, so I want to just, yeah, kind of heart level stuff as we end here. But I think we'll hand this over. Uh, we might, might go into another, another time of worship here. It's been a blessing to be with you guys. Love you guys.